All right, for a little while now, we've been in uh, this expositional series in the book of 1 John, entitled, uh, sub, uh, titled, That You May Know. And uh, John is certainly concerned that we know a number of very important things. And today we're going to be looking at a very important one about knowing the truth and the, re and the relationship that has to having an ongoing and eternal relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's turn in our Bibles or look on the screen or follow me along in your with your device of preference. First uh, John chapter 2, we pick up where we left off last time in this series. And again, uh, thanks to uh, uh, Chaplain Mike Hendrick for filling the pulpit last week and my being away on study leave. Um, and uh, it's really good to sit under the word, but I'm, I'm glad to be back uh, today uh, bringing God's word to you and opening and seeking to explain the sense. We're looking at 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18 and reading through verse 27. But I remind you, this is the word of the Lord. Hear it with careful attention. Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now, many, many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you shall abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God remains forever. Let's pray. 
Father, once again, we ask that you would help us to understand and discern the truth of your word. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and the critical role he plays in giving us discernment so that we will not believe a lie but the truth. But Lord, we still always need, Lord, you to open our eyes, to give us that discernment, to see truth and apply it in our lives. And we ask for this grace, for this gift, in Jesus' name and for his sake, we pray. Amen. Growing up, back in the uh, 1960s and early 70s, those were my grade school and high school years, um, one of my favorite bands in uh, along about 1969 was a band known as Three Dog Night. I think it's probably the coolest rock group name uh, that I've ever encountered. Uh, it's, if you don't know what a three dog night is, look it up. Um, Google it when you get home. Not now, okay? Uh, stay with me. But I saw them in concert in Birmingham, Alabama in 1970. And in 1970, they just also released their new album, Naturally, and it contained a song by that name, Liar. Here's how some of the lyrics went. You've taken my life. You've taken my soul. That's what you said, and I believed it all. I want to be with you as long as you want to. I won't move away. Ain't that what you said? Ain't that what you said? Ain't that what you said? Liar, liar, liar. And what you're thinking is pants on fire coming somehow into that, right? <laughs> Obviously, John is concerned about the truth. We've seen a lot of themes already, love, light, but one of those important themes, another contrast that he vividly paints is the difference between truth and falsehood. And there are those in the world, then and now, that are liars, that go out from us to deceive. Not coincidentally, I chose said title for today's message because that's one of the core focuses that John gives his message to his hearers then, back in that day, almost 2,000 years ago, and he's still giving it today through the Word of God as it's used in our hearts and lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. The seriousness of being a truth-teller instead of a liar. From earliest days, though, it's been a problem in the church. It didn't just start recently. It was there in the beginning. Right with the most early manifestations, there were those that had come into the fellowship of God and yet went out and left it and sought to deceive and spread lies and untruth about things essential to the faith. Unfortunately, in today's climate, nobody thinks anything about words, except unless they're certain words. And then uh, you can practically get thrown off the planet if you use those. But no one seems to be concerned whether or not we're careful about the truth. You know, lying is a way of life for politicians. You know, do you believe any of them? <laughs> I'm, the, it's just seemingly a way of life. It's whatever suits to accomplish their agenda for their group. But today, it's not popular to say that there are things that are true and to denounce things that are false. 
Furthermore, who wants to be branded a bigot or a hater for maintaining the truth claims of Orthodox Christianity? You maintain some of the claims that this Bible makes about God and about you and who you are and what you should do, you will be branded something of not very kind nature. Here's what we're going to look at today in this text. And uh, we're going to look at three points, as we often do. And yes, there is alliteration this morning. They're all uh, A's. Here they are. We're going to look at the Antichrists in this passage. We're going to look at the anointing in this passage. And then we're going to look at the abiding in this passage. Those are the three of the major themes that we find here in these verses that I just read. So, let's dig in. The first comes in verses 18 and 19 and verses 22 and 23. Now, here's something to, to throw out before we read that. What is or who is the Antichrist? You heard that word. Today, when people hear that word, if they have any background in Christianity, if they've read or been around or read a lot of the books or watched a lot of the stuff that comes on late night TV, uh, when it comes to prophecy pundits and stuff of that nature, it all of a sudden just kind of chill, sends chills down your back. What, what or who is the Antichrist? That's the question that intrigues many. And there are, are many, many different notions about who quote, he, she is, or was, or all kind of incredible amount of time and energy has been spent trying to talk about this. And most of the time, this is some kind of almost supernatural uh, being or person or something supernaturally, demonically influenced that's going to appear at some point in time in the future. At least a lot of Christians seem to think that. But before we let such... Um, fanciful notions go to seed. I want you to listen carefully to what the text actually says. Look again with me at verses 18 and 19 and then verses 22 and 23. Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. And then verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were the prince of darkness, how would I go about trying to get rid the world of all us pesky Christians? What would be my game plan? What would I do? Would I, would I kill them? Just 
try to wipe them out, poison them, you know, whatever, kill them, shoot them. How's that worked out for him through the ages? Not very well. Because the blood of the martyrs is always the seed of the church. You try to crush Christianity, it will only spread like wildfire. It's happened over and over and over again in Christianity. So, the prince of darkness is not quite that stupid. Oh, he'll, he will if he gets a chance to influence someone to try to take a Christian's life. There are places that does happen indeed. But it's not going to win the game. So he has another plan B. And that's basically all about infiltrating and then deceiving and then departing. Infiltrate the, the faith community, de deploy, deceive, lie about God and about Jesus and about other things and then break away and prove because he can't stand to live in that light but so long. So who are these antichrists? Now you notice that I used the plural. The author uses the plural also. And what do they do? Well, instead of being some shadowy future Fuhrer, as a popular book years ago claimed, that's who he was going to be, some kind of futuristic Fuhrer, somebody kind of like the Fuhrer and yet uh, something off in the future only souped up more and more uh, even than his maniacal uh, purpose and values. But instead of it being some shadowy figure like that who's going to set himself up as a sort of counterfeit Messiah, a lot of people think that, it appears here that John uh, doesn't have that kind of notion at all in mind. He says these antichrists with a plural S and a little a, not a big A. They have been common and they've been around and abounding all the way back to the time that John instantly call, interestingly calls the last hour. You say, what are the out? But the last hour hasn't come. Well, you need to read your Bible. Yes, it has. If you mean the last, the last, the last, the, well, yeah, there's still an hour to come at the end of all things. But this is talking about the last hour in a transition from the old covenant to the new. The very end of the old age. There would be, and perhaps has some reference to, to what Daniel predicted, there would be a great deal of deception and confusion that would, be, would come in the time of Christ. If, if Christ is breaking out and breaking through, of course the opposition is going to also try to do, come out with everything they've got. Maybe indeed, but John was talking about 2,000 years ago. But we're still in the last hour. That's the interesting thing. If you really understand that language, we have been since the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension, and we're still in it now. So they're still here. They're still abound. False prophets, liars. 
John says these antichrists are false teachers who were once part of the Christian community but have since departed. And that they are now, what they're doing is attempting to deceive, to lie, by denying who Jesus Christ really is and his relationship to the Father. The Antichrist is a liar who denies that Jesus is the Messiah. And that puts a lot of people in the, in the liar category. Who denies that he is the Son of God and the fulfillment of all prophecy, the God-man, Jesus Christ. There was an early church heresy called doceticism. And basically it said, oh, uh, Jesus is a not the God man. He, 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 never really, he never really was God. He just, just kind of God influence came upon this man called Jesus. Listen to 1 John a little bit later on. John says this, 1 John 4, 2 through 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. In other words, he's incarnate. He was born in Bethlehem. He came out of this world into this world and took on our humanity, the incarnation. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus that way is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you've heard was coming and now is in the world already. That spirit is denying, attacking the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ and the relationship with God the Father and with the Son. Antichrists are liars who always detract and diminish the person and work of Jesus Christ. And they come in many forms. Way back then, they had names, they had groups, and we have many still. Anyone that says Jesus is not the Messiah, long-promised, only Savior of the world, and who puts anything else up there that'll get you there, or they think will get them there, that is Antichrist. That is being anti-Christ. This is not a particular single entity. This is a belief system that attacks the Son of God who came to be our Savior. Whether the form is ancient or modern, how do we detract today? How do people obfuscate the centrality of Jesus Christ? Oh, they may believe, he, believe in him, but he's not central to everything. He is not, it's not all about him. It's not, that is a spirit that is antichrist. So John is concerned to expose these liars that he calls antichrists. But he's also concerned for another thing here, and that is the fact that contrary to that group that deceives and departs, there's another group he's counting on and he's confident because of what God has given them, they're going to be hanging in there and holding on. And they are believers. Those that are going to stick it out. And how are they going to do it? He tells us 
in verses 20 and 21. I'm going to read that in just a moment. Stay with me. John loves, I've said already, vivid contrasts. Light, darkness, love, hate, truth, lies. And now he's going to contrast these antichrists with those he calls anointed ones. Look at verses 20 and 21. But you, unlike them, there's the contrast, but you, talking to the Christians reading this letter or hearing it read for the first time, you today hearing it, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, because no lie is of the truth. So, John introduces one of his favorite concepts here, abiding, or maybe your translation of your Bible may say remaining. Same basic idea. Both are, you can, okay, they kind of come at shaded a little bit, but both of them are valid ways to express it. Somehow abiding and also remaining. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I went, went over beyond that. That's, I have got there. I'm in the third point. So back up, back up with me. Um, in, in John's verse, uh, in these verses that I just read, 20 and 21, um, uh, he's centering on the idea of anointing. He is going to get to abiding. That's the third point. But he is centering right now on the anointing. Now, what does that mean? That's basically, I believe, describing the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised that would be, be given to believers. So, in other words, when Jesus was here on the earth, he said, I'm going, when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to lead you and show you and take you into all truth. He's going to explain things. He's going to help you understand the stuff that you're having trouble grasping getting right now. And that's exactly what happened. When the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, all of a sudden, the guys start going, wow, ah, we get it now. We, no wonder, they, of course it had to happen. Why were we so stupid? Why didn't we get it? The Holy Spirit is how we become a Christian. We don't become a Christian by our own will. We don't become a Christian by our own intelligence or our own activity. We have the Holy Spirit poured out in our hearts that grants us faith to believe and love to follow Jesus, the one who has died and taken away and promised deliverance from our sins. So John is contrasting those antichrists that are detracting and deceiving how they've departed but these Christians they're hanging in there because of the anointing of God they have the Holy Spirit inside of them and Jesus said when the Holy Spirit's inside of you I'm inside of you because again we're talking about the triune God Father Son and Holy Spirit you got one you got them all did you hear that language it said earlier about when he says the one that has the son has the father and if you got the father you've got the son you can't separate them you're divinely indwelt so jesus talked about this interestingly in john 14 16 and 17 listen to this I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That's the Holy Spirit who he's talking about. To be with you forever, 
even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. The Spirit's going to be poured out and you're going to know. And John is not that worried. He's not that worried. He's warning them, but he's not worried because he says, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. He's going to lead you to recognize the truth. He's not going to let you be hoodwinked over and over again if you stay in the word where he speaks, if you expose yourself to the word of God where the spirit of God can direct you and instruct you. Paul said something pretty similar to what, what John is saying here uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Listen. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed, there's that word, anointed us and who has also put his seal upon us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That's why John's not, not too upset. Oh, he's, he's, he's decrying the false teachers, but he's saying they've left and you're not buying it and you're not going to buy it because you're of the truth. You've got the Holy Spirit. And he's guaranteed he's going to keep you hanging on. He's going to keep you in the faith. You're not going to be those who walk out and leave it and prove that you never were a part of it, that you never believed it. So the anointing is describing has to do with the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. This anointing is an internal defense mechanism that helps us discern the truth. Isn't that a great blessing? That we are not in this alone. It's not just how smart we are. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And John says that gives him confidence that we're going to keep, keep hanging on, keep being faithful, not leaving, not departing. Now, these verses don't mean, by the way, listen carefully. These verses don't mean, when you heard that part where you know everything, it's not talking about you know every conceivable thing that you can know in the world. It means you know the core truth about Jesus and who he is and why he came and what he did and what he's promised. And you're not going to get departed. You're not going to get knocked off center on that issue. And when he says that you don't need anybody to teach you, he's saying you don't need anybody else to come along and bring some new truth, quote, into the mix. You've already got it. Tell the others need not apply. Don't bring that Jesus plus something in here to me. Don't bring that uh, Jesus uh, with the addition of. You already got it. Stay on it. Hover over it. Plant yourself in the midst of it and hold fast. <coughs> That's what John is getting at. They already had the apostolic deposit of truth and the spirit had been given to help them understand it and they didn't need any other outside, souped up, better version, newer commodity to come along and confront it. False teachers will tell you that you need something more than Christ or something other than Christ. You either need Jesus with a little more added to him or you will need, you know, Jesus. Jesus is okay. You know, I'm all right with him. 
but there's cooler stuff now. After all, we're more living in a more enlightened age now. False teachers will always do one of those things. They will always tell you you need something more than Christ and Christ alone. And they will tell you that you need, or they will tell you you need something other than. It's a better deal now. Now, to the abiding that I was at already. <laughs> All right. Here's the third point. John now reintroduces uh, his favorite, one of his favorite concepts. Abiding or, as I said a while ago, remaining. Same thing. Look at verses 24 through 27. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you've received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as the anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he taught you, abide in him. Who's the him? God, Jesus, who is God. Abide in him. Now, his main point here is relationship. That's what he is hunkering down on, centering, zooming in on. His main point is at the heart of the Christian life is a dynamic, living Unending relationship with the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus talked about in John 17. Go read it this afternoon. That mystical language, Father, I and them and you and me, somehow we are, we are connected in a vital living union, a relational union forever with the God of the universe. That's what is at the core of being a new creation is. And as a consequence of this mysterious relationship that we have with God through faith in Christ, believers receive what God has promised. And what did he promise? Eternal life. Now, you, a lot of times we don't, we don't quite get this eternal life notion in verse 25 eternal life is not i repeat it is not an abstract prolongation of life for its own sake just life just to live longer i think sometimes some people try so hard and spend incredible just to try to live a little bit longer that's not about that's not what eternal life is its purpose is to enjoy eternal relationship with God and the joys and the glory and the fullness, the love, the glory, the beauty, everything he is to be lost in wonder, love, and praise that him sing about. Try to describe in our pitiful way that we can do it here. But there there will be eternal relationship with God. Jesus spoke about that in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, Jesus said, that you know, that they know you, the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Do you know God? Do you know Jesus? If you don't, you don't have eternal life. If you trust, you repented of your sins and let go of everything else that you look to and trust in and you go all in, you have faith in Jesus, forsaking all, I take him, then you have the promise from God of eternal life. And it's a relationship that will never end. See, I didn't understand that for the longest time. Even though I went to church, I didn't get it. I didn't understand. I believed all the things, but I didn't understand that God was promising me a relationship. I thought it was just, I just need to do certain things so that he won't be mad at me. I didn't have any idea that he was willing to come into my life and indwell me and live with me and I with him and enjoy through all eternity his glorious presence. So John's exhortation to the faith community is that believers abide or remain in him. That's verse 27, right at the end. The point is how do you maintain that relationship? To abide in him involves maintenance. It involves activity, not passivity. Not just sitting back and trying to get into a trance and hoping that it'll come. No, it's something that you have to do to maintain it. Now, there's a sense in which it's permanent. It's already perfected in the sense that it's not going to be taken from you. If you have faith in Christ, if you are a true believer, and you, it will be manifest in the way you continue to remain in him. That'll be a sign of that. And it's not something that's going to be taken away. But if you're going to enjoy it, you've got to work at the relationship. The point that needs to be made here is maintaining this relationship of mutual indwelling. It's very hard to find a, a human relationship in, in the world we know that, that helps us get at this. But the closest thing we can grab is a marital relationship between a man and a woman. That's the closest we can do. And it's not quite there because our relationship with God is more complex than that. But if you really understand what marriage is, there is a melding. There is a, there's more than a physical union, things getting together. There's also the soul. And yet, and marriage is supposed to be what? According to God's ordinance, it's supposed to be permanent. But it does take work, doesn't it? If you've ever been in one, if you are in one now, if you just don't do anything with it, for it, and you do some things against it, that's not going to be too, too much fun, is it? If you're going to have a living, ongoing relationship with your wife or your husband, you've got to put some effort into it, some work into it. Some of you ladies say, yeah, and the guys, you really need to do some start catching up. I'm sure, and you're right. But both of us have to work at it. We have to work at it. We have to invest in it. We have to do things. We can't just assume. I, I, am, I fall right into it. I just think, well, okay, haven't done anything to blow anything up lately. Everything should be just fine. 
Do you think Louise buys that? <laughs> no way. <laughs> Where's the, where have I been loving? Where have I been doing something? That's the stuff that turns your, greases the skids on your relationship, gets it rolling. You can't just do nothing and assume it stays there. There is no, relationships are dynamic. They're either moving one direction or the other always, constantly. They don't stay. We have trouble remembering that, guys. But you see, the same thing is true of your relationship with God. It's got to be worked at and maintained. You've got to put some energy and effort into it. You need, you got to read his book. You want to hear more from the one that's your lover, God. Why are you going to know more about him? You're going to, are you going to talk to him? You're going to pray? You see, those are all things of relationship. It's not about doing things. It's about being in relationship with God. A one flesh union meant to be permanent must be maintained. And so it is in our relationship with the Father and the Son. Yes, it's formal in one sense. Yes, it's fixed. If we believe in Christ, he's not going to leave us or forsake us. In that sense, it's permanent. But if you want to enjoy it, if you want to feel its power and its pleasure, when, to be like little and say, when I run, I feel God's pleasure, you've got to maintain. You've got to invest because it's dynamic just like your marriage relationship, but oh, so much more important. And if you maintain that more important relationship with God, the other things will tend to fall in better places. Are we maintaining our relationship with God or is it withering from neglect? You think about that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, help us. I know I'm guilty of neglecting relationships here with those that I love. Father, I'm guilty of that with you. But Lord, help me to long for, to know you better, to, know, to want to know you because there truly is no greater thing. And forgive me that I often forget that and foolishly think there's something else that's more dynamic. Lord, give us faith. Give us endurance. Thank you for the promise of the abiding spirit that you have given. Lead us into truth. And then, Lord, strengthen. Help us, may, help us build upon. Help us want a deeper relationship with our spouses. And, Father, all the more with you. Let me pray in Jesus' name. Amen.